Hey everybody, welcome to episode 7, season 2 of the Asking for a Parent podcast. It's me, Dr. Coleman Nocturne, and it's a real great pleasure to chat to you in this week's Listener's Questions episode. Uh, just wanted to say, before we started, just to thank Laura O'Mahony for her episode last week, an incredible response to that episode. Um, and I think it was right to release that last week, we all needed a bit of a break from the seriousness, and it was a welcome opportunity to smile and if you haven't listened to that episode go back and listen to it it was a fabulous one so here we are we're talking about possibly staggered returns to school we're still struggling with homeschooling difficult out there for everybody and i think from the point of view the the feedback from our questions is that a lot of people struggling with their worries about children and parenting and the atmosphere within their homes at the moment which is challenging uh, and it is I think six weeks into homeschooling, the school closures issues is fatiguing everybody. But just want to say to everyone, just stay with it. We're we're going to get there. We'll get there in the end. This is an exercise in endurance. And uh, just keep minding yourselves. Try and do what you can do. And don't feel bad if you have to you know, scratch the homeschooling for a day in order to manage the atmosphere within your house. But anyway, look, I won't hold you anymore. I'll let you get on to listen to this week's episode of the Listeners and Questions episode with my guest this week. Anyway, on to today's guest. You'll remember this lady from the last time because this was one of my listeners' questions guests from season one. My guest today is Aoife Lee. And Aoife, again, is, as we know, uh, part of the parenting support is her full-time job. She is uh, an expert in the parenting field. And I know since last time she has developed an e-learning online parenting program, uh, which can be found at parentingsupport.ie. Just from the point of view of, it's a pleasure to have Aoife back because we got a huge response the last time from her wisdom and insights and everything else. But when we spoke the last time, we were in lockdown too. Schools were open. Things were going pretty much okay. We were ticking along, not nicely, but we were getting there. There was hope that things were on the on the rise. And, and then we had Christmas in between and the kind of... The, the, the wheels came off a little bit. So now to situate listeners, we are in lockdown three. Uh, we're in the middle of it. The schools are closed. It's howling rain outside. Uh, it's a Saturday, if that means anything anymore. And I am chatting to Aoife. So Aoife, welcome back. Good morning. Yes, you've painted a lovely picture of how <laughs> we're all feeling right now. <laughs> how are you? How are you getting on? How's it all been? We're managing. I'm not going to say we're skipping around the place. It's certainly been a roller coaster and it comes in waves. And like you said there, the last time we spoke was, I think, December. And we were all, I think, gearing up for Christmas. And little really did we know what was going to be in sight after the holidays. Um, It was kind of with heavy hearts, as as we say, uh, when we got the news that the schools were closing and uh, you know, just prior to us going live there, safe to say families have been finding this particular lockdown a real challenge. And it's been a very busy time for me, as I'm sure it has been for you. Um, but like, there's no doubt about it. People are really have been really struggling in saying that uh, for me, I think during the week uh, when there's been talk of the schools returning, it does create a little bit of light and at the moment, anything is just savoured. So uh, I know for our family, we're all kind of gearing up for for that kind of return. 
So focusing on the positives right now, for sure. Yeah. And again, I think it's, it's busy in, in our business. And I, I sent a tweet out recently about, you know, it's really hard to be a mental health worker at the moment because we've never had a time where people are probably more despairing and, di- and finding things difficult, but we've never had as little resources in the toolkit from which to offer. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. we would have obviously if somebody came with low mood or anxiety in a previous world, you'd be saying, go out, socialize, mix with people, find a hobby, get a purpose, get meaning in your life. And I kind of did a kind of a shout out to the, the frontline mental health workers, because I do think it is a really challenging time to be doing this work. And as someone like myself in the parenting field, so many parents are struggling. It, it does test you in terms of your creativity, your optimism and knowledge to try and offer solutions when, as I say, the, just the resources are so limited. Like even the weather becomes a real barrier to something like getting outside, going for a walk, spending time in the garden. How are you finding it? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I would have always been, oh, no, it's raining. Will we just wait and wait till it stops now? It's different in that, right, hats, wellies, the whole shebang, we're getting out hell or high water. And I have three kids myself, a 12-year-old being my eldest, nine, and then three. And certainly for all of the parents listening that have toddlers, I am with you when it comes to the stress of it all in that you know when your child needs to get out the door. And even if you've been spending a day working, managing it all, it's safe to say getting them out, hail, rain or shine, the difference it makes. And I, I'm a converted, I uh, wouldn't say I'm the biggest outdoor person, but I certainly have seen the benefits of everyone getting out into the fresh air. And um, so, uh, you know, while we like our home comforts and we really had no other option but to stay at home, definitely this winter, it's been, we've been out more than we've ever done in any other winter before. So, so it's a necessity breeds invention in this case. And also the case of there's never the wrong weather, just the wrong clothes. Yeah, um, philosophy. So one thing we didn't chat about the last time, Aoife, is, I mean, obviously, do you describe yourself as parenting expert or, or how does it, what's the title? Parenting support is obviously the yeah, name. Like my qualification is a parent coach and you know, sometimes I would shy away from the parenting expert because mm. I'm a man myself and I know and I'm very honest with my clients. I find that there are days where it's full on and overwhelming and, you know, I don't get it right. And people think I've got textbook kids and I absolutely do not. Um, so like, yeah, as far as title is concerned, parent coach, but insofar as how I'm kind of managing it myself, we're kind of getting on with it like everybody else. I suppose I do have the benefits of uh, taking a step back and looking at a situation and thinking, right, what do we need to do here? I mean, there are times where my husband will say, well, what would you do in that situation? And that's often the time when my head's fried and I'm, I don't, I can't think straight. And um, maybe I'm representing a lot of families out there, but when we've got different ages and stages of, of, of the kids it does require different approaches and um, I do feel fortunate sometimes that I'm able to take some sense of right what do we need to do here and how did you come about I mean I, I did an article for the examiner this week about my own experience of growing up and it was kind of a, a the man behind the column sort of thing yeah. uh, <laughs> but it was interesting because it was a really long interview but it was about 
my experience of growing up where I was in the rural environment and my family and getting through into nursing and then into psychotherapy, et cetera. It was a lovely kind of reflective experience for me. So what was your experience of growing up being parented? Do you come from a big family? Were you rural or urban or what was it all like? I was, I was, a country girl at heart from County Meads, originally two years in Dublin, still was blow-ins after 40 years, uh, but I came from a family of six, uh, two brothers and a sister who is in Australia, haven't seen her in two years, missing her like mad, uh, if she's listening. And yeah, I suppose my parents, we, it was a very happy childhood. Um, like any family, we had our ups and downs, but certainly... I embraced um, my childhood and I, I talking about being outside, we had this big pit right beside our house. I mean, now parents would lose their lives, but our parents would let us off. And it was literally, you know, run amok in this really deep pit and the crack we used to have. And, and they were my memories. And I'd, it'd be safe to say my siblings would say the same thing. But, you know, I would say, uh, like, my mom would still talk about how, you know, she would have looked for certain parenting courses. And there wasn't anything like there is now. And, you know, you could see their different parenting styles. But ultimately, you know, I was very happy and content. And I always knew my mom was always a big cry if you need to cry, get the feelings out. And um, my dad was always there behind her. I mean, his, his old thing, us growing up was, make sure you get a full-time permanent pensionable job and get your health insurance in order. Um, but he's always, they've always been- Has that it. worked out, Eva? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> one of two boxes. But, you know, they've, they continue to be a great support. And look, again, like lots of families, we're missing them like mad because we haven't seen them since- before Christmas sorry we, we, we got to see them at Christmas time but we knew we were saying the goodbyes for whenever we see them again so they love they love like like yourself we do a bit of media and they just love hearing when I'm on and um, yeah so real support there and it's, it's it's funny the way the the organicness of parenting back then was kind of just you did what you could and, and there wasn't a, a great deal of not that there wasn't consideration, but everyone that I'm talking to in the, on the podcast is talking about this very natural parenting thing. Now, it, it's far different now. Again, if we had a letter in today saying uh, my children all play in a pit and I don't see them from <laughs> six in the morning till six at night, you'd be like, Tusla, you know. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> alarm bells, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I was only saying to somebody like, um, I used to hitch home from school oh, in sixth yeah. class you know put your thumb out and get to see it stop it on the road but again different times so yeah. there are different considerations but there is sometimes I wonder do have we overcomplicated it a bit and maybe is it going back to the the more organic look once they're okay and once they're safe and once they're yeah they, they, they can express their emotions and feel okay maybe there is something about going back to something more traditional I think maybe that's what we call winging it. Do we need to start winging it more than when our, what our parents were doing 30, 40 years ago? Uh, I think because there's so much out there now, and you see it yourself, the articles, the online information, the experts on TV and uh, in the books. And while you know a lot of it is all very solid advice and support, parents do feel extremely overwhelmed because what then is the right answer? Because everyone has got different opinions. 
I'd like to think, and I mentioned there, I've my own positive parenting course available on my site, parentsupport.ie. But uh, I think parents do feel quite overwhelmed and it's, well, what is the right answer? And I know my approach is I try and be as practical as I can be. And while there mightn't been the top tips 40 years ago on X, Y, Z, certainly there, there was no screen time there. And that's often the... The, the solid argument, you know, the consistent arguments that come up in lots of homes. But yeah, it's it's really about trusting your gut as well and knowing what feels right when it comes to dealing with certain situations. And it's safe to say, like, we all know our own child best, but just sometimes we need a little bit of that independent outlook into a situation where I, that's where I find with families when I work with them, I'm that independent eyes and ears I don't have an emotional attachment to anyone no you know my own best interests are, are the client so yeah it's 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 different I, for everyone I think yeah, I think you're right the benefit of that third eye especially when you're living through it you, you can't see the wood for the trees yeah. I think that is a hugely a telescopic and a helicopter view of saying well maybe this is happening and you can see the dynamic with it from a distance which I do think there's a huge benefit in it I mean I've always struggled with the parenting expert title because one I don't think there's such a thing as a parent expert. I think the parent is the expert of their own child. But that, I mean, I learned my trade through working with families over 25 years and seeing the things that go well and seeing the things that don't and kind of picking it up that way. But I'm, I'm going to take a guess here and say that when you were five years of age, you weren't walking around going, I want to be a parent coach. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so how did you fall into it or how did it happen? Or I remember do you know what? I wasn't the biggest academic head. Now, I, I would have been the average student. But when I started secondary school, I did home economics and um, it was all about the sewing, the baking. But it was also first um, learning about the social aspect of society. And I just thought, oh, wow, this is kind of a bit different. Anyway, as it happened, I absolutely loved home economics. It got me honours in my leave insert. I was thrilled with myself, but I never kind of could slot in what was it that I wanted. And I remember going up to Dublin at the time, up to Dublin, where I got like, I went to um, oh, one of these centres where you're able to get assessed to your what your characteristics and what you're strong in. Can't think of the name. Aptitude test or something. Yes. Yeah, that's it. And um, there was this big draw towards working with people. And I thought, okay. So I was all on for potentially going down the nursing route because I really loved being with people and having the chats and kind of having that caring aspect. Then I realized I hate the sight of blood and, you know, made, made me jelly legged. So I thought, no, that's not for me. Um, and then obviously when it came to um, my career choices with, during my leaving cert year, I identified that, you know, I definitely want to work with people, but what, what does that mean? So I, I got a, again, wasn't high up on the point system at all, ended up starting in Ballyfermot Senior College where I did a, a diploma in social studies, social care and BTEC diploma. And then I ended up doing really well in that. And that really built my confidence to, God, actually, I'm academically, I was really sh being strong in, in something. It was the first time I'd really felt that. And then I deferred into my third year in Sligo IT and I got my diploma and degree there. Um, so I went straight into the IT in, in third level. And um, yeah, it's and I good fun, I, good town. Absolutely love Sligo and I have great memories and the friends I, I made then 
are kind of been my lifetime friends and although we we are in the same we were in the same um learning and and the same careers uh really got great connections there so uh yeah so that that's kind of where I came about from but there's a lot to be said for maybe when you're not strong academically in secondary school I certainly found my purpose um after that and and I love what I do so Oh, absolutely. I was just thinking about that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't remember thinking about points when I was doing my leaving. I remember for nursing, which I ended up doing, you needed two honours in honours subjects and passed the rest. And that was my goal. Like that was that was that was as high as I was going. And I, I just remember trying to learn something that didn't interest you was a real yeah. challenge. Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't really care for igneous rocks and geography and I enjoyed history and English but uh, as for learning French was never really high on my priority so I scraped you know a, a very average academic very lazy academic very disinterested academic but then you you find something like the human mind and you go okay well now I'm interested now you've got me and I spent 11 years in postgraduate education you know reading and learning and doing things about something I was enjoying I, I was entertained by interested in so I think we can write children off in saying oh they're not going to do much academically because but maybe it's not the academic piece maybe it's the subject maybe it's the material that's not it's what what kind of lies important to you, and that's kind of from the coaching perspective. If you're if you're living by values that really don't really mean a whole lot, you're not going to get that drive necessarily. And even when it came down to my in my earlier career, I was with the health service, and um, it was going through a bit of a rough patch. I was I had twelve years in early intervention, children and care, and and I did enjoy it, but I got to that point where I was like, this isn't starting, this isn't kind of feeling right. And that's when I went, I decided to go back and study. And honestly, I, and I don't know whether I said this in the last podcast, but during my HSE days, I remember hearing someone say how much they love their job. And I went, I wonder what that's like. I wonder what it's like to love your job. And while we all have, I've got, you know, ups and downs myself, but I can say, it's safe to say I've, I absolutely love my job. And I feel like I've just gone towards my purpose without sounding cheesy, but mm. my passion then comes out in my interviews and in my work and, and, all, and all what I do and the quality of my work and all that. So, yeah. And as I said, I think if you love your job, you won't work a day in your life in some respects, you know, that's yeah. a cheesy line as well. But I think from the point of view of for, for anyone listening in, I mean, I don't remember the module of, um, you know, how to be a psychotherapist in a pandemic. And I'm guessing <laughs> you didn't have one either. So no. in many ways we're kind of, we're, we're, we're winging it here at the moment as well, but the, in the absence of anybody else who has lived through a pandemic, we're, we're, we're doing what we can. But uh, all we can say is, I think, uh, in general, before we get into the questions, is just an appreciation of how tricky it is for parents out there. And I think self-compassion, give yourself a break. You know, nobody's, nobody's striving in this. Everyone is struggling. And, yeah. uh, uh, and, and lower the expectations. You know? Lower the expectations. And also as well, if you are going through, and I know we're going to be going through a series of questions now, but there isn't any one magic answer. There's there's no, often it is about breaking it down and looking at the different aspects of what's going on. And uh, sometimes we need to tell ourselves to take a step back. Um, but certainly, like you say, nobody is sailing through this at all. And whether you've got kids or not. Mm. 
Uh, cool. Well, let's will we crack on? We we'll start. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, first one I have here is uh, hi, Coleman. I'm a recent subscriber to the podcast, and perhaps you've done this before. But the topic supporting siblings of children with additional needs, how and when best to share information, how to overcome the resentment felt at times regarding time and attention from parents on the child with the additional needs. And the jealousy, if that's the right word, uh, not in a bad, but just in a natural childhood way. Uh, if this is a topic topic covered already, please redirect me to it. If I've missed it, if not, would you consider chatting about it? I'd love to know your own thoughts on it. My background is a child who became ill at six months, nothing uh, too serious, but needed lots of time and attention, medical appointments, um, speech delays, developmental language disorder, DCD. Uh, and so a lot of medical appointments, SLT, speech and language, occupational therapy, physio. His siblings can at times find it difficult to tolerate uh, the, ass the assistive aids that are needed and seen as toys and the stuff that they would probably see him getting spoiled with. I have a natural stance of explaining that as they crop up, that all children are aware of the vocabulary and the diagnosis without dwelling on them. But I'd love to hear another person's perspective on it. We have dealt with this before, but I think it's no hard to deal with it again, because this is something that comes up. And if I, I might start on this one, Aoife. Mm -hmm. the, the issue around childhood is that in many ways, it is an attention economy. So the they're all vying for the parental attention and the notion of sibling rivalry, the difficulties with being ousted out is because the attention is halved or the visibility is halved or and in many ways there can be through no fault of their own a dynamic where someone who is most in need gets the most visibility you know in terms of a and i've seen this so many times a child who maybe like this has lots of appointments or hospitalizations or a child who's terminally ill or has really ill sickness and the other children have to work around that. Mm. Many do it with a great deal of understanding and compassion, but absolutely understandably, many will find that difficult and they will feel maybe less important because the, the parental attention is, is guided towards one person, rightly so, because that person needs it. But it is one of those situations where I feel absolutely sorry for parents in this situation, for siblings mm. in this situation, and for the child who has the additional needs because mm. there's a there's no one at fault here there's no one to blame there's nobody can do much different about it but what i would say is what you don't want in a family is a dynamic that says you have to be sick to be seen do you know mm. what i mean from the point of view because what you'll see then is is children maybe not symptom borrowing but maybe creating behaviors that demand the visibility they demand the attention so misbehavior is oftentimes what we will attend to over good behavior um mm -hmm. somebody who's sick you know and I, I see it in in the in tiny situations maybe here in my house where some one of the children fall over and they've hurt their knee and then the smaller lad is saying i have a sore knee as well i want to plaster too do you know what i mean and so you kind of give this tokenistic plaster on the knee just to pacify them but the the on a wider scale there is a vying for attention and in the attention economy Children are very tuned into you're getting more than me. They're mm -hmm. very into that's not fair. They're yeah. incredibly into portion sizes. Yes. And they 50, see attention. 50. Yeah. And so it, it is understandable. What to do about it is to recognize the needs of the unaffected siblings who don't yeah. have the additional needs. Put the energy in there. And I'm sure you'll probably agree with me in that situation. Yeah. But that may be far more challenging than 
it sounds when you are as busy as you are. But <laughs> the thing is, and I'll end on this, I think once children know that if I need it, it will be available to me. And I always use the example of the leaving cert. And I can remember my older sister doing her leaving cert and she wasn't have, didn't have to bring out bins and she didn't have to wash dishes and she didn't have to sweep. And my mother was like, everyone be quiet because Eleanor's studying. And I was going, this is ridiculous. She's getting preferential treatment. And myself and my other disgruntled sisters felt very hard done by. And my mother said, when you need it, you'll get it too. Yeah. So the idea was this is swings and roundabouts. So when it is your leaving cert, if you do st- decide to study, Coleman, we will make the same provisions for you. So it's not, everything doesn't have to be fair all the time. Yes. It just has to be fair over a period of time. So when you need it, it will be yeah. there. And I think yeah. that's maybe the message rather than trying to keep things equal. Because yeah. life isn't that simple and it's not that easy to divide things equally. And some degree of favoritism that's temporary or transitory it's kind of understandable that that will be the case because of an exam year, because of additional needs, because of, you know, a breakup of a relationship, whatever it might be. We might just as a team go around this person a little bit for a period of time. But the most important thing is that I know as a team member, if I need it, mm-hmm. I'll get it. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And it's an interesting one um, because the, the automatic or response may be, you know, equal for everybody. And, anyone with more than one child will know that that is not realistic and it just doesn't happen. And that's where you see a lot of sibling rivalry and sibling fighting. Just a couple of things that I kind of uh, picked up on on it was that it's just even keeping that connection with the non-affected, you know, with the, with the, with the siblings maybe that are feeling it. You mentioned they're acknowledging and praising their compassion, their patience, their understanding, because sometimes we just assume, sure, aren't they great? look, God, fair play to them. And then it might raise its ugly head every now and again and they might have a rant. I think it's okay to give them that permission. Validate their frustration. Acknowledge that, you know what, we know that this is not ideal all of the time. Because often when we kind of can even name it and validate it, it just makes them feel a little bit heard, listened to and understood. And like any of us, we all like to know someone else is acknowledging how we're feeling, that frustration. But also, while I know when you mentioned there about it will come, even for the, the other children to, uh, while you're acknowledging it, maybe mention, look, I think it would be nice if we managed to get a bit of time together. And I know lives are busy right now, but even if it was a case of getting them involved in, is there something that you would like to do together? And we all know when our kids are one-on-one with us, there's like 99.9% of the time they love it so it's just trying to kind of get that balance of of where they're at but keeping that connection open and it's interestingly um I was doing a session there recently with a a company and one mom was talking about that she had a child with additional needs uh dyslexia and she was spending a huge amount of time with him on his homeschooling and then she had a leaving cert student and she was kind of leaving her be. She's letting her at it. And it all came to a head for her older daughter. And it came out that she was fine. She was struggling with her work, whereas she wasn't really saying a whole lot. So even at the other end of the spectrum, if you've got a child that's not saying anything at all, keep that connection going because it ultimately came out that, do you know, what? I'm really struggling here. All your time is going in to the younger sibling and uh, it, it then brought up that that awareness and things changed subtly so it's not that you have to change your whole approach but just those subtle changes so she started bringing her up like a takeaway coffee and 
little things that she appreciated. So, yeah, and again, it's I always make the comparison to the the slow puncture. You know, if you have a slow puncture in your tire, yeah. that's the one you check. So when you come out to the car, you're looking at the, see is it still up or how far is it down yeah, or whatever, yeah. and uh, the other three get ignored. So it's again that squeaky wheel syndrome is the only one we oil, and the other three tires could be getting balder and balder by the minute, but because maybe they're not making noise or they're not seen to be having needs. We mm. can kind of, and independence is not necessi- necessarily a sign that everything's going swimmingly. It could yeah. be that I'm just struggling with that. So brilliant advice there. I hope that was helpful. The next question, if I'm going to throw this one to you, if you don't mind, is I want to ask your advice about how much TV, if any, a three and five-year-old should have. Our five-year-old watches up to 40 minutes TV per day. When she was in school, she watched only TV on Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays. Since we're at home now, much more, we allow her to watch it daily. The problem is with her little brother, who's three. They play together a lot and he likes to do what she does. So every time the TV ends, he has a meltdown, gets upset, starts biting his lip, screams out for more. And usually it's okay after a few minutes, but I'm wondering if maybe he is watching too much TV, as in 40 minutes per day for a three-year-old. If so, how do we allow our five-year-old to watch TV without letting him watch it too? Uh, We're considering reverting to to them just watching tv at weekends but that won't solve the problem of the meltdowns any advice would be greatly appreciated so uh, the tv the devices the screen time you know music to our ears absolutely not this is the one thing the one gripe the one challenge well one of but um that i know i've been talking a lot about lately that parents are getting extremely bogged down about and Rightly so. I think there is a lot of guilt on the fact that the kids are without doubt on their devices a lot more than they usually would be. And it was it was similarly back um, in, in our first lockdown when the kids were, were off school. I think there's two separate things here. There's the TV piece and then there's the, the behavior, the reaction of the three year old, which is very normal, I would consider um, in response to an activity finishing up. Uh, kids at that age don't really cope very well when we kind of go from one thing to the next within a matter of seconds. So the first question about is 40 minutes per day, what is the right length of time? Um, you know, if you really wanted to narrow it down, I believe in being a parent of children that enjoy their screens. I think moderation, everything in moderation is is a big part of all of this. I think the big sign of when you do see a deterioration in behaviour particularly for older children, that might show that, okay, they're watching a bit too much. But um, for this particular parent, I would be suggesting that um, it's very hard to manage screen time and separating siblings unless you've got some an activity based for the, the younger child. But I would be suggesting to try and eliminate that frequency of, you know, unraveling or meltdown or biting the lip and screaming. Prep the kids in advance to when the TV's going off, even if it is just a few minutes. So when that program's over, then we're going to turn the TV off and follow through on that. Also, whether it is possible for that younger child to have some transitionary activity or maybe you have to go out in the car or something that is kind of a clean slate cut um, so that you're able to support your child in that they're not kind of lost in their emotions. But giving them that space. I think the good thing that this parent has said is that they do recover fairly well, but the biting with the lip and the screaming is just his way of expressing 
I'm actually really not happy with this decision here. And he's just expressed himself by not being able to articulate the way our older kids would be. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd be kind of looking at, it would be interesting to know how frequently the meltdowns happen for every other aspect of the day as well. Yeah, I think you absolutely agree with everything you said there. I think the children don't deal with transitions very well. So something that's too abrupt and says, turn that off now. They have no idea what 40 minutes looks like. So the idea of this, you know, you give them that timer almost, mm. you know, after. I think it is a really good idea to have natural punctuations. You know, I wouldn't like if I was in the middle of watching my Netflix series and somebody turned it off in the middle of it. Yeah, I know, how dare they? Yeah. So I think there's, there's some degree of... of being able to see how long the episode is and then working around that. But the last thing I'd say is I, I wouldn't get caught up on time spent, but rather than time well spent, you know, yeah. maybe an hour of watching RT school hub is not necessarily the same as watching an hour of, I don't know, teen Titans or something from the point of view of, you know, the, the, the material is as important as the screen time currency. And so, you know, I, I just think um, around that, I mean, again, as for guidelines, I don't, know whether there should there, some children are fine with watching tv and the child who's who you say look will you turn that off and they turn it off themselves yeah. and go off and do something else maybe they don't need the extra bit of scaffolding but maybe those children yeah. who do have those kind of as you say very understandable emotional outbursts that might be it but that's really good advice but the timer definitely give them a bit of warning uh, and maybe not turning it off in the middle of hmm. the series i think that can sometimes yeah i know that's yeah, that, that, that can hurt hurt us all. But what I would say is even just using that technique or approach to lots of other transitions when it's time for dinner, when it's time to get ready for bed, um, you know, when it's time to leave for somewhere, although there's not a whole lot of places we can go right now. But, you know, if you need to load the kids in the car just to have a drive. Uh, when you go walking in the rain. You're going, on, yeah, with your wellies and the whole shebang on you. But uh, kids cope a lot better when they know what's happening. They don't like surprises. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, the next one is an interesting one, Eva, because I uh, this is coming in all the time. And I think from the point of view of lockdowns, this has really exacerbated things. And I know this from my own experience clinically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, hi, Coleman, I have a particular concern. My 12-year-old daughter is restricting her diet and I'm afraid it's becoming a problem. I brought her to it twice over the last two weeks and she told me um, she was fat and doesn't want to be fat. She continues to restrict her diet. I fear she'll lose too much weight. Uh, I've looked up some of the websites and body-wise. And I, she, this lady works in the, in the area of health herself, so she's in knowledge of it. But she's afraid of saying the wrong things and making things worse. Um, she's contacted the GP and waiting for them to get back to her, but just really uh, struggling in the, mo- in the meantime. Before I get onto that, I mean, the lockdown stuff has really exacerbated anybody with eating difficulties uh whether that's eating disorder or disordered eating the constantly being stuck at home the access to food the limitation of exercise and movement the loss of sport the loss of activity pe walking around has meant and and there's a lot of talk around the covid stone and all this sort of stuff that people are talking about right we are just in january february we've had the raft of operation transformations and all the weight loss diets and you know there's a high level of discourse around weight loss at this time of year anyway marketing doing it in supermarkets yeah everything and doing it in lockdown where you are you know not otherwise occupied has uh has really 
in my experience, exacerbated the symptoms of eating difficulties across mm-hmm. the board. Mm-hmm. People who've been doing well for years struggling now with yeah. the, the current circumstances. Any thoughts on that, Aoife? I mean, again, I've spoken about this at length and the listeners would be familiar with my views on it. But um... Yeah, and, I, and, you know, I appreciate that this is, you, you would um, have seen and supported a lot of teenagers <clears throat> in a similar situation. And I think from, you know, to take, take on board the fact that she is just 12 years of age, I think for the mum, it's, uh, I think she's done the right decision, contact her GP. Um, but it's very natural, normal to have that worry because she is changing. You know, uh, she's now entering her years, her puberty years is a lot of body changes, hormone changes. Even when it comes to, um, you know, the bigger growth spurt and um, she may be finding herself more hungry. She might be trying to restrict that hunger because, because it's a natural kind of a, a, a want. But, you know, I suppose the, the couple of questions I'd be wondering about is, uh, you know, is it emotionally driven? And the fact that obviously at this age, they are more susceptible to uh, conforming and um, they're more influenced by their peers Um kind of everything and the fact that we're at home it's more telly being watched and you've been online more uh, on social media more all of these are influences to you know how we look and how we feel and again for young girls um uh, let's say conforming to their to their to their groups but uh i don't know about you but certainly from from you know that restricting diet is there an element of control for her daughter the fact that our kids in general haven't really had options to make decisions in all of this in in their lives full stop so they seek out ways of of managing control in other ways is this one of those is this one element for this for this young girl um and I don't know whether you have anything else on that, but there was I had a couple of ideas of maybe what she can do to help her in the meantime before they go to the GP. Yeah, for me, the, the, a lot of the eating disorder originates from control, you know, mm-hmm. or lack of control. So you feel completely overwhelmed. You don't believe that you can stop those pubertal developments. You can't mm-hmm. stop mm-hmm. interactions. You can't stop lockdowns. You can't stop. Like, there's very you're very powerless. And going back to the infant, the infant's power is around food, you know, so they refuse food um, as a means of saying, I'm not okay. And and for me, eating disorders are oftentimes a return to that power of saying, no, Mm. I I, I don't know what is wrong. I just feel overwhelmed and I need control over something and I can control, you know, eating disorders very logical, move more, eat less weight goes down, move less, eat more, weight goes up. It's a very black and white way of kind of feeling in control. And the, the context that you get from an eating disorder is, you know, I'll make you feel more control, less emotionally overwhelmed, more confident, and give you structure to a day that may feel unstructured. Mm. It's a fairly luring and attractive contract to sign. Mm. Um, but then when you do that and you get engaged in it, uh, when everyone starts getting concerned around you and saying you're losing too much weight, you need to mm. change that's when you turn to the eating disorder and say, or the disordered eating and say, look, I have to change because my mom is getting upset about it. And the eating disorder goes, ah, 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 you signed the contract. Yeah. You need to keep doing this. And so that's, it's oftentimes the control that it gives you in the first place where you feel you're in control of something. And then at a moment in time, you realize you're being controlled by it, mm. and that it has all the cards. Do you know what I mean? In that yeah. sense. And, uh, and it functions very much 
for mum, I want her to know that this functions very much like a almost a domestically controlling relationship that mm-hmm. the eating store is holding over this girl and saying, you will be nothing without me. Uh, mm-hmm. And so almost if it was like a toxic friend, the more you almost go against it, the more secretive it becomes, the mm-hmm. more you can knuckle down on it, the more underground the relationship becomes. And so I think it's about wanting to hear what your child has to say, ask her, give her license to talk about what it is she's struggling with, um, give her the voice that she needs to use so that she doesn't need to use food to say, I'm not okay. And to try and see if there's other ways in which she can have more control over her choices other than resorting to restricting her diet to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, that they would be my kind of tips around that. And and yourself, Aoife? I was more kind of thinking from the perspective of if, if this was like a wobble in the road or, you know, it's been an ongoing thing like that to to actually talk to her and not like talk at her, but talk with her and just, again, acknowledge the change. And for the mum and whoever's at home to kind of say, look, we want to support you as best we can and um, give her that space to connect and, 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 and talk. And what I was if, if it was still at that point where, you know, she was restricting her food, but it wasn't full on, you know, where it's become it's become extreme to kind of get her involved in some kind of planning for meal times, healthy, healthy meals and identify, you know, again, what she could be part of so that there it allows some kind of healthy choice and decision and, and, and control in that. But it's the bigger picture, I suppose, what the emotional emotional reasoning is behind behind that. So. Excellent. Okay. The next question was, uh, this lady describes being a single parent, uh, two boys, uh, teenagers, uh, a teenager and a younger chap, 13 and nine. Uh, concerned about the teenager's attitude, uh, kind of very being oppositional, not showing much remorse about their behavior, using bad language, uh, back answering. This mom is really struggling uh, and kind of really not knowing how she can maintain some relationship with him. Uh, feels resentful of being parented unless she feels he only like her if she lets him do everything that he wants. And uh, she almost feels like they need some help with this because it seems to be getting out of hand. This is a 13-year-old boy, seems this hostility, possibly aggression, uh, and certainly a, a oppositional approach to mum's direction. Any mm-hmm. thoughts on this one? Single parent, it's extremely difficult. I've been um, supporting lots of single parents during this time and it's very challenging um, because they're doing everything by themselves. So I can totally understand her frustration and her um, feeling extremely overwhelmed. I think, um, so you've got a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old. Again, he is just on the cusp of, you know, he's just coming into the teenage years. So an awful lot happening for him. I think for teenagers, they start to think in a deeper way than they've ever done before. And this shift into deeper thinking is a very natural part of their development. But it can be hard for teenagers because they let their emotions get the better of them. They don't see how their behavior can impact those, the people, people around them, I suppose. It goes back to even like the toddler days of you know, the world revolves around them. They don't really see it again. It, it, I mean, I'm not going to be generalizing, but if if you're having these kind of daily challenges, it's it's looking at what's going on for them. And bearing in mind, we are going through such an intense time. And for a lot of teenage boys, they struggle with expressing themselves. I'm sure you've seen this all the time, but they, 
don't wear their heart in their sleeve. They can suppress their emotions. And as a result, it comes out in that angst and that frustration. And the other part of it is that from the brain development point of view, um, there's rapid brain growth in the teenage years like there is in those toddler years. So in the toddler years, you see a lot of meltdowns and outbursts. And for the teenage years, it's the same process happens. And that's we see a lot of outbursts and a lot of aggression and a lot of upset. And our teenagers feel like, what do we know? Like, what, what do we really know? We don't really understand when, if anything, we're trying to grasp at straws and figuring out how we can support and help them. So that's kind of where I would come from, from trying to understand maybe where her son is from an emotional point of view. Yeah, I think, again, this comes up time and time again. I think if he is 13, by my calculations, he might be one of those kids who, who got into first year without losing out on the sixth year or the sixth class finish, yeah. just got hit in your straps in first year and now they're gone off school again. Like that group particularly have been really affected by the lockdowns and I'm sure he feels maybe a lot of out of control around a lot of the things that's happening to him in his mm -hmm. life. That may explain why he is behaving the way he is. It doesn't excuse it though, no. you know, and I think mm -hmm. the idea of, we need to understand behavior and acknowledge why, where it might be coming from. But that doesn't mean that you have to uh, condone it. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Again, understanding why somebody might be distressed and what, what they might be dealing with is different to agreeing with how they're managing it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And so mm -hmm. feeling that, and lots of us take it out on those who are closest to us and our frustrations. And we've yeah. seen like, the degree of, uh, I don't know whether you've seen this as well, if the degree of hypersensitivity in families and, you know, people in our bubble and, yeah. you know, being stuck in the same group with people and, you know, the way you're chewing is annoying me, sort of, you know, there's that kind of uh, cabin fever. Easily piece. triggered. We're all easy. Yeah. 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 And I think in these circumstances, there may be a higher instance of hypersensitivity, hyper arousal. And, you know, as you say, the brain development of that adolescent needs a form of expression and mm. so without the normal sports or going out and doing things outlets, outlets it's kind of building up and in, in maybe coming across as hostility and anger that said very clearly need to say what you accept and don't accept within your own family home and not allowing a uh, a period of, of behavior or a pattern of behavior to emerge that is unsafe or un disrespectful again you need to hold the line with that and the other thing was and I say this time and time again, your approach may need to go towards the understanding piece as opposed to the discipline piece, yeah. because you are the adult in the room. And I fully appreciate single mom under pressure, aggressive 13 year old, very difficult situation. But getting into a battle and locking horns with each other will not resolve the issue. I know it makes us feel better if we're standing our ground and we're not letting people away with things. But when it comes to resolution, uh, I, I would say no argument was ever resolved in an argument, you know, so, you yeah. know, you don't have that position where, it, it, so we know nagging doesn't work, mm -hmm. just doesn't, yes, we all do it. And as yeah. a parent myself, I do it the same. And we have to kind of take a step back and say, well, if this approach isn't working, I need something different. Um, and me, I would look to get this kid on his own at some point, sit him down, with a hot chocolate and say, what are we doing here? Yeah. What's going on? Acknowledge the disruptions, acknowledge how difficult things are for him, acknowledge what that might be. But at the same time saying this can't continue yeah. because I can't keep doing this and you can't keep behaving this. And this is no fun for anyone. 
mm. and trying to see if you can in the calmness of and maybe moments of the instant this you oftentimes see where they kind of go well he's settled enough now so i'm not going to bring it up because yeah. he's quiet yeah. that's probably the time to bring it up and maybe as I say, a socially distanced costa trip to a takeaway coffee and you know sit in the rain with your rain max and have a chat about this stuff but i think as the adult in the room what's wor- what you're doing now doesn't seem to be working so you've nothing to lose by yeah. shifting it up a little bit and shifting the dynamic I, I think when you are stuck in a cycle sometimes and this goes in in lots of different parenting scenarios when we have this constant fighting um over and back it, it gets into we all get stuck in a rut and it becomes like a habit and we're even as the adult as the parent expecting it to happen before it even happens so like you said and i totally reinforce what you're saying there wait until things are somewhat calm, that there's no confrontation there. Everyone's relaxed. Because when we lock horns, we subsequently go into the stress mode where we go into kind of fight or flight and we lock horns and no one's going to go anywhere anyway. So um, giving everyone a chance to have that breathing ground and conversation. And when everyone is relaxed, it does help allow the conversation flow and children and our teenagers they will push the boundaries because they know they can and they often will push our ne- the nearest and dearest um, and and obviously we don't know the full extent of this family situation but I would be certainly saying that um, give give space to to have a conversation go can we just work together on this and uh, often with teenagers if they feel listened to they'll be more willing to work with us um, absolutely Absolutely. Uh, time is against us, Aoife. And in the interest of my friend, editor and producer, Adam, I'm going to try and keep my episodes to some decent because uh, he's given me loads of grief for going over time with all the, the, yeah. the stuff. But in terms of there was lots of more questions that we get to next week. Uh, but the issue around the theme of homeschooling, lockdowns, stress, yeah. high levels of the, the announcements of another nine weeks managing parents own sense of despair and grimness yeah. because the parents here don't have their usual coping strategies either. So for the parent who is really struggling with their anxious child or their disengaged child from the homeschooling piece, the maybe lack of connection to children's communities, maybe they're just working off you know, emails on a Sunday night or uh, maybe they're frontline workers, maybe they're working all day and coming home to do school, homeschooling in the evening. What's your pandemic survival go-to in terms of, for parents listening, in terms of what we could help them to manage? What is extraordinarily difficult times? Yeah, um, the big thing is managing your own expectations because I said it from day one, but we can't be everything to everybody all of the time. And when we do feel and we put ourselves under that pressure, that's where it all starts to unravel and, and, and come apart. So it's prioritizing what's what. And a lot of parents are working from home or you've got one parent stuck up in the office all day or the space and the other parent might be keeping the show on the road with the with the kids or both parents are working and it's full on so managing the expectations as far as do what you can because if we 
are trying to do everything all at the same time, it just it becomes completely muddled up and, and it's, it gets completely overwhelming. And, and taking, taking that pressure off. Insofar as the homeschooling, I'm quite conscious, I suppose, that lots of people have found what works, have either accepted the fact that, look, let's just do, do what we can. And insofar as I know from the school's perspective, they are saying that, encourage not only just the, the the academic but also the life skills so try and break up that monotony the groundhog day of and um, that it's not just about the academics it's also about well look how can we connect as a family because right now we're all sitting around the dinner table and no one has any news so trying to to create some kind of family time where you can connect the other thing is really making sure that you have some solo time yourself and uh, often in my talks, we talk about podcasts even that you can listen to like this, asking for the parent. Uh, but, you know, talking all about, you know, just to try and give yourself a chance to, to, to tune out. And then the other part of it is that if you do find yourself getting caught up in the news stories, uh, you know, particularly in January, the case numbers, all of that, it was just too much. A step away. And um, because that's what feeds into our anxiety as well is hearing you know, even when it comes to the vaccines, while I know we want to keep informed, we do need to make that decision about pulling back from the pandemic talk as well. Absolutely. And I agree 100% with, with the expectation management, the solo time. I mean, I think the issue around the, the life skills piece is interesting because I know from my own perspective, we're kind of at a level that if it's not on your leaving cert, you're not doing it. You know, so <laughs> when, you get, when you get the instruction of, you know, find a place and some mall, uh, you're kind of going, no, they're not doing that. Yeah. That's gone. Right. And, you know, getting messages to say your son never submitted their tin whistle recital yesterday. What's <laughs> going on? Uh, and, and there is a different expectation, I think, from the school's because they've been told that the curriculum must keep going. Yeah. So it isn't a kind of a whatever you're having yourself bit as it was last time. It's kind yeah. of, you know, you, we're, we're still waiting on this to come in. So I do think that puts on pressure. But mm. for me, and, and the, one of the words I've used too many times in the last week is cost benefit analysis, right? Yeah. So the cost of this versus the potential benefit is something that I'm struggling with at the moment personally mm. in terms of is it worth finishing out these four sums to the point of the detriment to family stress, my child's emotional well-being and ex everything else. And obviously giving myself the license to say, no, it's not. And mm -hmm. saying, we are not doing the four sums. We are going for a walk. We are going outside. We're going to take a breather. We're going to watch Despicable Me or something instead. Yeah. And for me, at this point, because it's going on so long, and I do think the COVID-19 is the, the vulnerable population for COVID-19 are the elderly, mm. but the vulnerable population for lockdowns are children. Yeah. Uh, and so the long-term impact of all of this is, for me, way more about loneliness, disconnection, emotional disconnection from their communities and their own sense of well-being. And mm. so we have to prioritize that for our own children. Do you know what I mean? In the, in the sense that that has to be at the forefront of our minds. And so when you're doing the cost-benefit analysis, and it's an overused phrase, but I remember this, no parent will go to their grave saying, I wish I taught my children more sums. Do you know yeah. what I mean? From the point of view of that. And I think we have to be able to give ourselves permission to do that. You know, yeah. and I, I, there's, there's something about me, Ethan, we talked about growing up and kind of mm. all that sort of stuff. 
I don't want to get in trouble with the teacher and I certainly don't want my and and in many ways the homeschooling thing is does feel like a reflection on us you know mm. you don't want your child going back to school and the teacher going what did they do with this fella he's done nothing or he's gone backwards but I would prefer that than a child who is bereft of joy and happiness and has lost you know I, if, if they're going to be on on time with their academia versus on time with their emotional well-being for me there's a no-brainer there of what mm. I want my child to be mm. and that's not I'm not dismissing the importance of the structure and the homeschooling piece but give yourself the license to pull the plug on it if the cost benefit analysis doesn't weigh up does yeah. that make sense yeah it does and I actually I can I can relate to back in the first lockdown once June arrived, and although it, we officially got the primary school one more month to go in comparison to secondary, I uh, decided to give myself permission to be no longer the homeschooling teacher that I'm never going to be anyway. And I remember logging off and I thought, you know what, we're done. And, um, you know. I'm just emailing your children's principal as you speak there to, let, <laughs> yeah, to rat you up. She took a yeah. month off last year. Yeah, but you know what? It was that sense of relief. And I think maybe that's what parents are really looking for. And actually, just from uh, next week, I'm going to be releasing a blog, which is about supporting your kids as they return to school. It's going to be on my website, parentsupport.ie. And it's just about how we can kind of readjust bedtimes, readjust screen time use. Um, you know, I'm going to be tipping in a little bit about managing anxiety when the kids are like, well, no, actually, I, I want to stay home with you. <laughs> and or or, you know, managing maybe the separation the reluctance to se separate um for the younger kids um so i'll that'll be out now next week so if anyone wants brilliant to fantastic where can we get that parentsupport.ie and uh, uh on my website and as well as that my e-learning course as well which is very much focused on behaviors understanding and managing behaviors in a very practical way so and there's a tab there for the blog on that Website. yes it's all there you'll see all everything i do in that so superb 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 okay listen Eva lee my colleague friend compadriot it has been another pleasure having a chat with you i always love it uh lots of practical tips really down-to-earth advice for everyone out there and and yeah listen thank you for giving your time your insights and your knowledge uh and your chirpiness which is always you know, i always feel better having after a chat with you um because uh, people can't see you, but you've smiled through the whole of this interview, <laughs> even though we were talking about the most grimmest of things. So for that, thank you very, very much. And um, for anyone who has any more questions, get in touch with us. You can get us on the askingforaparent.gmail.com or to the Twitter, Instagram and Facebook pages. And any questions you we didn't get to this week, we will get to in the next listeners episode. But until then, Eva Lee, thank you ever so much. Thank you, Coleman. And uh, for everyone outside there, Get out in the rain, take your walk, enjoy yourself. Remember, cost-benefit analysis. Pull the plug if you need to. Until next time, take care, stay safe, and bye for now. That was the wonderful Aoife Lee there, and it's always great to have a chat with Aoife and get some really practical and sensible and wise advice on how to manage, especially the difficulties, probably with younger children, I think. There's a real level of expertise there for Aoife, and we're really grateful to have her on the podcast and to share her wisdom with us all. And as I said, you know, we're hoping to do one of the last question, listeners' questions episodes on some funny stories and funny parenting episodes that you've had. And we've had some really hilarious ones in already. But if you have any anecdotes or funny stories that you'd like to share, please get them into us on askingforaparent at gmail.com 
or you can direct message us on the Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. I wish you all well with the graded school return. If you're one of those parents who are going to be having a junior infant or a senior infant's return to school next week, the best of luck with that. I hope it goes well. And for those of you who are still waiting for your return and still having to homeschool for another little while yet, best of luck, stay strong, and we'll see you all next week for a great chat with our next guest. But until then, take care, stay safe, and bye for now.